0: You're listening to Out the Gate, the podcast about sailing and adventure on and around San Francisco Bay. And I am your host, Ben Shaw. This week's show is hosted by Svensson's Marine and their Spring Fling Boat Show, which is coming up on April 15th and 16th in Alameda. And this year's show is even bigger with more exhibitors, great food, and some exciting seminars. There are going to be raffle giveaways all day long and special deals on boating and sailing gear. And I'm planning on being there on the 15th, so I hope to see you there. You can get your free tickets and claim a show swag bag at springflingboatshow.com. That's springflingboatshow, all one word.com. I'll see you there. I also want to mention again that Out the Gate is now on Patreon. The show is a total labor of love for me. And while yes, I've had some wonderful sponsors over the years, that doesn't cover the cost or time that I put into the show. So if you enjoy it, you like the interviews and would like to support the show, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash out the gate. And for five or $10 a month, you can support the show and get special benefits, which include shout outs here on the podcast, live chats and hangouts, out-the-gate swag, and more. I'm between jobs right now, and keeping this show going is a priority for me, but your support is important for doing that. So thank you to all my current patrons and those who have recently signed up, such as David Bangsberg and Julia and Tyler of Sailing Ramona. And I hope... You, too, will join the Out the Gate crew at patreon.com forward slash out the gate. So the last time I spoke to Ronnie Simpson on the show was in 2020. He was living in Fiji and running a board and sail shop. Today, he's in Beaufort, North Carolina, preparing his boat Sparrow, an Open 50, for the Global Solo Challenge, a new sailing race. Ronnie's an Iraq war vet who was wounded by an RPG and he credits sailing with saving his life. Since discovering the sport, he's sailed 130,000 miles at sea, worked professionally as a racing sailor, a delivery captain, a charter captain, and a sailboat rigger. He's also started a sailing nonprofit aimed at helping other veterans get out on the water. Last time we talked about Ronnie's personal background and his introduction to sailing. This time, we're focusing on his upcoming efforts around the Global Solo Challenge race. So let's get right into it.
1: Thanks for having me on the podcast again, Ben. I am currently in Beaufort, North Carolina. I'm on my Open 50 named Sparrow. Been in Beaufort over the winter, just uh, refitting this boat, getting it ready for for a big
0: race. And what race is that?
1: I am currently preparing for a solo non-stop around the world race called the global solo challenge, which is a new race that starts this
0: fall in Spain. So it takes off from Spain and then around the capes and then back.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but it, it starts in Coruña, Spain, which is on the Atlantic side, not on the Mediterranean side. So you start in the Atlantic ocean and, Rumble down the Atlantic. You turn left and you go under South Africa, under Australia, under New Zealand. Keep on going. You go under Cape Horn and then turn left again and go back up the Atlantic back to Auckrania.
0: I understand this is a really interesting new race that kind of is trying to cut the difference between the the Golden Globe, which is a throwback to well the original around the world race in in the 60s with no uh, sat nav and no weather routing and the Vendee globe which is kind of the other extreme the the hyper performance tell us a little yeah exactly about about the boats and what the, what the goal of this race is
1: i it's a pretty cool concept for a race i think uh it was it was created a handful of years ago by a class 40 round the world racing veteran named marco nannini he saw these these two races that were sort of at like Polar extreme opposites between the Golden Globe race and the Vendee Globe. And he saw that there was quite a big gap between those two races. And I think that big gap, in theory, encompasses 95% of sailors. He thought it would be cool to have around the world race that would encourage participation and include a wide variety of boats that are in between those two extremes of the boats that are in the Golden Globe race and in the Vendee Globe. So he created this new race called the Global Solo Challenge. He opened it up to pretty much anything that would meet the safety requirements.
0: So you'll have it, slow it, boats it, and, and fast boats and everything in between, I'd imagine.
1: Yeah, exactly. So there's actually, there, there are a couple of Golden Globe-esque boats in the race. And there's also a couple of uh, kind of old Vendee Globe boats in the race. But there's also like a bunch of class 40s, a bunch of open 50s. Um, there's some performance racer cruisers. There's just some some random race boats that don't really fit into a class, so to speak. Uh, and the only way to to race, as is oftentimes the case, the only way to to race a, a bunch of different boats together in a, in a somewhat fair sense is to do a handicap race. So uh, it is a pursuit style handicap start. So uh, as with any round the world race, the goal is to get the boats rounding Cape Horn, sort of around February-ish, uh, which is usually the case. The, the ocean race is a little bit late, later this year for some reason. I think the goal is really to get boats, like I said, rounding Cape Horn sometime around February. The earliest boats are starting at the end of August, I believe. And then my start is going to be kind of the last week of October or the first week of November. A few boats are still going to be after me as well.
0: And who do you see as your closest competition so far in the race? Are there, is there another Open 50? Yeah,
1: there's a handful of Open 50s, and uh, they, they should all be pretty interesting. There is a, my boat is an older Open 50, fixed keel, fiberglass boat with water ballast, single rudder boat as well. So she's not going to be as quick as like a, uh, a newer Open 50 that was built with carbon and a canting keel and twin rudders and all that uh but there is a uh similar vintage open 50 to mine with a uh frenchman that i can't wait to meet named manu and i i, I envision us having a pretty good battle around the world we're both in old school kind of mid 90s open 50s uh but also there's going to be a lot of class 40s i think that if you look at my old school open 50 i'm essentially as fast as a newer good class 40 so uh, I'm probably going to be starting only a little bit after the class 40s, and and um, there's no brand new class 40s in the race, but um, yeah, I, I envision that I'm going to be just a little bit faster than the class 40s and trying to chase them down, but also I'm going to have a couple of faster open 50s that are a little bit behind me trying to chase me down, and also a couple of older uh, open 60s as well, so I, I think there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of good competition, but as far as who my closest rivals are and who's going to be the strongest of those rivals. I I don't think anyone really knows at this point. Um, A lot of us in the, in the fleet have a lot of experience and a lot of differentiating experience, but uh, I think it's really going to come down to whose boat is the best prepared. And, 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 and also there's a lot of these guys that, uh, you know, you don't really know how good these guys are until the race starts. So,
0: well, uh, think it's, think it's also such be, an endurance, a, a race of endurance, and and keeping things working.
1: Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, exactly. It's it's not going to be like your speed and eking out the extra tenth of a knot that's going to win this race. It's going to be the the boat that can sail a pretty clean lap of the world and and just navigate the right way and go the right way and uh, and and keep the boat speed up, but also just continually keep the boat moving and and not break stuff. And I think that you're seeing that in the Golden Globe race right now. It's just such a race of attrition, you know? Yeah, it sure is. And for that matter, even in the ocean race, really basically you have one boat out front that has managed not to really break a ton of stuff and everybody else has kind of been licking their wounds the entire time and, and trying to play
0: catch up. So you have a lot of experience sailing many different types of boats, many miles. And as I understand it, you took possession of Sparrow. your open 50 in, in August. I know you've been doing a refit. Have you had a chance to sail her?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. When I got the boat, I did uh, the, the first week of sea trials were back in late August in Portland, Maine. I got the boat and I, I flew out there with one of my good sailing mates, Sean Doyle, and then also with the uh, previous owner of the boat, Whitehall Stokes. And we all met in Maine and uh, we did like a week of sea trials and I was, I was very impressed with the boat. Think she has a ton of potential. Uh, She's a very very quick boat. From then I sailed the boat from Maine to Newport, Rhode Island. Did some sailing in Newport. Then I went to New York and then to Annapolis, Maryland, and then down here to Beaufort, North Carolina. I was kind of headed to Florida, but plans changed and and there was no time or space like the present to hop into my refit. So I haven't done as much sailing as I have wanted to because I've been tied to a dock, uh, working on the boat and knocking out projects so I can really go sail the boat because even when I was able to sail the boat and put 1500 miles on her or so, um, a lot of it was sort of in, in delivery mode and not really pushing the boat. There were some things I wanted to address before I could do that. So I I have done some sailing on the boat. I have done a decent amount of sailing on the boat, but, uh, and I'm very impressed with the boat, but that's going to kind of be the name of the game going forward here is, uh, getting the boat back together and and really doing a lot of training and a lot of preparation and then knocking out my qualifier and then sailing over to Europe.
0: What has surprised you or what is the biggest differences about sailing Sparrow than sailing previous boats? Oh, that's a good question.
1: I think, uh, you know, when you compare it to other boats that I have personally done a lot of single handing on, it's just a bigger boat. You know, it's just a bigger boat. The loads are bigger the lines are a lot longer. And then there's certain things that you wouldn't think that would be a problem. Just to put it in perspective, I think for the average person, this is in many ways, this boat is really, really similar to like a TP-52. It's about the same length. It's about the same width. The rig is the same size. The Spinnakers are exactly the same size. And this is a single rudder, fixed keel boat. So it's it's a,
0: it's a lot like a TP fifty two, the Transpac fifty two. For people who might not know TP, right? Yeah,
1: which is a yeah. yeah exactly, which is a a very popular class of racing monohull that was uh, that has been raced very successfully both inshore and offshore all over the world, and and it's a really good it's a really good class of boat and a really good uh really good size of boat for ocean racing, and so to answer your question, um, I think one thing I've just had to learn about is is like you know. Um, not getting the square tops mainsail, you know, caught up in the uh, in the running backstays, you know, because you have like you have these uh, like triple sort of running backstays on each side, so that uh, the lower line goes to the second spreaders, the middle line goes to the third spreaders, and then the upper line goes to the masthead. And so at each reef point, it's just like exactly the right height to where the square top wants to get caught up in the, uh, the runners. So you just gotta get good at sort of managing the runners. And um, uh, also like, you know, the, the reef lines, like I said, uh, all the lines are a whole lot longer than the, the boats I'm used to. And so there's just so much more line to handle. So whenever you're putting a reef in or whenever you're, uh, you know, shaking a reef or doing a sail change or something like that, there just, there just ends up being a lot of rope all over the cockpit, absolutely everywhere. Yeah, it's just a, a a bit of a practice thing at, at getting well-practiced at sort of managing all that and not having a mess and just anticipating when things are going to get fouled. But for the most part, I mean, she's a pretty well-mannered boat and she just really just trucks along out in the ocean. She moves along quite nicely. And um, fortunately, I, I have not had any super dramatic moments with the boat, no major failures or anything and no big gnarly wipeouts or round downs or anything fairly simple boat to sail in a lot of ways you just have to you just have to really like plan things out and just have a good plan going into all your maneuvers you don't really want to be winging it too much i think for where i'm at though it's honestly it's the perfect boat and again comparing it to the class 40 and saying that it is as an older open 50 it is essentially about as fast as a good class 40. Uh, a newer class 40 is actually going to be quicker off the breeze i'm going to be quicker upwind and reaching So we have very, very similar kind of theoretical performances. And, but in many ways, this is kind of like my class 40, like in my, in my personal evolution as a offshore racing sailor and a solo offshore racing sailor, this is kind of like my class 40. So it's just a, just a step up from the other boats that I've raced. It's a bit more complexity. There's just a, you know, you've got water ballast and obviously you've got to have uh, more systems, you know, and you got to keep all those systems going. So it's just a, it's It's more evolutionary than revolutionary, though. it's
0: a lot of things to keep straight. your Your comment about just a lot of line begs the question of how tall the rig is. and i I, I guess I, I, you mentioned before that the rig on this boat this isn't this isn't going to be the sparrow's first race around the world. And in previous races, she's lost her rig a couple of times. What have you done to reinforce the the rig and how tall is that rig? Uh,
1: it is a seventy five foot tall uh deck steps carbon mass, and most of these boats are deck step for the reason that if you roll over in the Indian Ocean, you know you kind of want the rig to rip off cleanly and not rip a huge hole in the boat. so it's a triple spreader seventy five foot tall deck steps carbon rig designed by an individual named Ted van Dusen. yeah, it's a really cool rig. it's been in the boat since Philippe Kahn had the boat, so it's not a not a brand new rig but it's it's had really no issues. Uh, there, there were a couple of issues with the boat in the first two races that it did. It did drop two rigs. Um, and they were for different reasons. Uh, I, I think one of them was like a failed cap shroud. I'm not, you know, not a hundred percent sure exactly what happened. And then I'm not sure exactly the reason for the other time that it dismasted, but this rig again was kind of put in there when Brad Van Lou and Philippe Kahn were both had the boat for a while. And I mean, this rig was built to be, um, you know, pretty stout. So it's not a huge section, but it's quite a thick wall thickness. I I, I think this rig, uh, is definitely, uh, definitely a pretty good stout rig. And so I haven't had to personally do anything to beef the boat up, uh, as far as the, the mass is concerned, you know, that was kind of already done for me. The boat sailed around Cape Horn single-handed two years ago during COVID with the previous owner of the boat Whitehall all stokes and from a from a rig standpoint it had had no issues at all kind of had some other issues which have mostly been addressed
0: so what are the main tasks you're undergoing now to get it ready
1: when i got the boat it did not have working wind instruments so coming down the coast and everything i did not have any uh any wind instruments So that was obviously something that as soon as I was in one place for more than a couple of weeks, I wanted to address that. So we pulled the rig out of the boat very end of January and then put it back in early February and did a lot of new mast wiring and put a couple of new NKE wind instruments and uh, data cables in the rig. So now we have brand new wind instruments and everything's super sweet with that. Um, And then it also just had some just some issues with the diesel engine that was on board it was always hard to start and a little bit low on compression just because it was a you know older little diesel engine that had seen quite a bit of uh use and abuse uh, especially as in a, in a race boat it was low on compression and also it had spun a rod bearing it started knocking so actually just before i was doing this interview with you i was putting the motor back in the boat I had the motor out of the boat for about three weeks and we just did a full rebuild
0: on it. I know how frustrating it can be when you're in the midst of a project and you have momentum going on the boat to be interrupted. So I really appreciate you t- <laughs> tearing yourself away no, from the project to talk.
1: It's all good, man. It's all good. Uh, you know, and that's that's kind of the name of the game with this is just being, being flexible and working around things as they come. Uh, but to answer your question, you know, here in North Carolina, I really wanted to get in and do some chain plate work. Kind of had to cut into the bow essentially because there is a bit of a false false bow there so we cut into the bow and then i removed the old stem fitting and i had that replicated so i put a new stem fitting or bow chain plate kind of up there and then glass that all back up and then kind of did a couple deck repairs and i replaced the inner force day chain plate i still want to do the two chain plates on the uh on the back of the boat for the runners the cap trail chain plates are they're they're look great they look fine I think they might be new yeah going through my electronics doing a bunch of work with that but also the big thing is is just putting a lot of the old systems back on the boat that were taken off I've reinstalled the water maker which would which had been uninstalled and put the hydro generator back on the boat but I had to send the lower end of it back to France to get rebuilt because no one services them here in the U S and you know i've put some of the solar back on the boat and i've got more solar on the way from west marine we're about to put that on uh i just put a starlink dome on or dish on and just going through yeah just as, as much of the uh the systems as we can and and also here in in north carolina a lot of it's just been preparing the boat for some of the some of the next steps so you know we're, we're about to get new sails. so I've, I've had my sailmaker, Bill O'Malley, uh, coming down from Maryland and, you know, we've tuned the rig and we've measured everything and, you know, done a new stack pack for the mainsail, and, uh, did a bunch of new rope and a bunch of new, uh, running rigging from New England ropes and just piece by piece going through the boat. And, uh, it's, uh, I've got a great base to start with. We had a lot of work done to her right before I took over the boat, but there's still a lot that needs to be done. So it's just, uh, the very time and labor and money-intensive campaign of just getting it ready, kind of day by day.
0: Yeah, I was just going to say, none of this stuff is cheap. So, talk to us a little bit about your campaign and how I, I know it's a. It's often takes a team to to pull pull this off.
1: Yeah, man, it it really does. It, it takes a team to pull this off. While I am kind of working by myself on the boat, quite a lot of the time, I have had a lot of people helping me out and supporting the campaign. Um, and I, I really appreciate all those people, but yeah, it's really hard to, to finance this sort of thing. So I've been very, very fortunate with finding a lot of sponsorship. Um, I have not been as successful as, as I need to be, or as I would like to be in actually fundraising, but I have been able to sort of bring that total nut that I need to raise. I've, I've brought that number down, uh, by, by finding a lot of sponsors. And I'm, I'm really grateful for that. There's still a lot of work to be done, but um, I've got a whole inventory of sails going on the boat, sponsored by Elvstrom Sails and Challenge Sailcloth. So those actually went into production yesterday. I, all the designs got fully signed off on now, and uh, I, those sails should physically be built in the next three weeks, and they should be built by, by the first week in April, and I should have them by the end of April or early or the first of May. Uh, I've got uh, three furlers coming from from Factor and ProFurl, which are both owned by Wishard. So uh, Wishard has been on board from day one and they've been great to work with, but also like New England Ropes was the very first sponsor I I signed up at the Newport Boat Show and they've been great to work with. They've been helping me out with my running rigging and um, Ron Stan's been a fantastic sponsor. They've been helping me out and um, sheet bags and some deck hardware and stuff. And and yeah, it's just been uh, bringing on sort of uh, sponsors you know, one by one, day by day, trying to reduce again the amount of money that I actually need to raise. Like yeah. even kind of a cool story, even even with this motor rebuild, uh, it's a it's a little twenty horse beta engine. And quite ironically, Beta is like down the street here in North Carolina. That's their their North American headquarters is right here in, in North Carolina. So I drove over and I talked to them and got in touch with them and, and, and they helped me out with my motor parts. You know, That's so great. I got my yeah, it was awesome. So they came on board the campaign and they sponsored my pistons and my connecting rod and my rings and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, it's just been, been a collaboration between a lot of, a lot of great companies that have been very generous and, and have really helped me out. And, um, but there is still a lot more work to be done. I, I, I really need to find a title sponsor for the campaign i, I really desperately need yeah more, i was just gonna mention money.
0: that that um i saw the video on your homepage looking for a title sponsor space on the sale so you're still looking for that main the one big sponsor yeah 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 where so, do people um, if anybody out there is listening and wants to uh wants to sponsor ronnie um what's your website where can they go to find you
1: ronnie simpsonracing.com so that's my first name ronnie which is r o n n i e last name simpson s i m p s o n racing.com awesome. and yeah yeah definitely you can reach out ronnie simpson racing at gmail.com is my email that you can reach out uh over instagram or over email or through the website or whatever um but definitely yeah that's that's the hard part is finding a title sponsor but but um, i do think that we'll get there I've got a i've got some people helping me out with that and i think that we also have a lot to sell to a title sponsor and i, I think that we can actually offer a lot of value to a title sponsor i think that sponsoring an older open 50 and a solo non-stop around the world race is kind of a very unique and attractive proposition because it ends up being in the relative scope of things it ends up being a very very small budget and there could be a potentially massive return from a pr standpoint and a brand awareness standpoint and i think that when you factor in and you factor in my life story and the media attention that I'm going to be getting, um, as well as, you know, there's a, there's a legitimate documentary that's beginning to come together about this campaign, and that's going to be shopped around to some streaming services and this and that. And if we can get all that stuff going, I think it's going to be, um, you know, I think it's going to be good. I, I, I think I'm going to get there as far as finding the sponsorship and funding that we need. But that's definitely the hardest part of, of this campaign, in, in my mind, is, uh, is finding the money. So unless you're a person that already has, uh, the means to do this, then that's always the hard part is finding the money. And it's, it's an uphill battle every day. And, and sometimes I'm like, why did I decide to do this? You know, I got given an open 50 with no money. And, and so, yeah, it is, it is hard to, uh, to get to the starting line and get to the finish line, but it's, uh, you know, if if it were easy, everyone would do it. So,
0: yeah. Well, I know we're focused a lot on this race, and you do, as you mentioned, you have an amazing backstory. And when we spoke before, I think it was 2020, back when we spoke the first time on the podcast, we talked a lot about that. So if people wanna hear about your past sailing exploits, your how you went from being a, a soldier in Iraq to sailing the world and ending up in Fiji, they can listen to that episode 53. But I'm just so excited for this next step for you. So you mentioned you have to do a qualifying run and then sail across the Atlantic. They're not one and the same. What's your qualifier?
1: The race rules require that you have to do a 2,000 mile solo qualifying sail to be completed before June 30th. And so I was originally going to sail over to Europe single-handed and use that as my qualifier. But um that's actually not as easy as one would think or one would like it to be. Um, like there's some, there's some visa realities, uh, like such as I I can't be in Europe with the boat more than 90 days before it gets exponentially more complicated. So therefore, I don't need to show up to Europe until after August 1st. If you rewind just a little bit from that, I need to get to Europe August 1st or later, but I've got to do my qualifier before June 30th. So therefore I've kind of got to go do a 2000 mile qualifier and then go to Europe. But that's all, that's all good. That's all just part. It's always, it's
0: always the scheduling that, you know, if you could just go off and sail, it'd be so much easier. Having to worry about visas or hurricane seasons or things like that. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And I mean, I, I, you know, I, I would have liked to already kind of go out and get the qualifier done here sort of in the spring or something, but, uh, you know, again, I'm, I'm kind of in many ways, I'm one guy doing what I can. So I've, I've been in the middle of this, uh, this refit, which is not as quick or as efficient as I would ideally like it to be. So again, I haven't had as much time to sail the boat as I would really like to, but I plan on doing a lot of sailing in April and May. And then in late May, I plan to, uh, depart the Chesapeake Bay and I will uh depart from Annapolis which is kind of the boat's new home and I'll get to that in a little bit but I'll depart Annapolis and the current plan is to go in late May and go from Annapolis down to a channel marker off of Charleston like the outermost channel marker and then hang a left and go out to Bermuda and round Bermuda and then hang another left and end up back in Portland Maine where I got the boat and that would get me 2,060 miles or something like that. But that would get me just over 2,000 miles. So, uh, and that would also put me right in Portland, Maine, which is where Maine Yacht Center is, and that's the yard where I got the boat. And that's a that's a phenomenal yard, and that's where we're going to do our uh, our summer haul out. And then from there, put the boat back in the water, do a bit of sailing, and then and then leave from Maine or from somewhere in New England and go across the Atlantic in July.
0: Why is Annapolis the new home if you're, if you're taking off from Maine? Is that the plan to end up back in Annapolis after you complete the race?
1: The reason why Annapolis has become the home port for the boat is uh, the first day I got the boat, the first day this ca- thing came together, I was like, all right, well, I need to align myself with a nonprofit. I need to align myself with a 501c3 nonprofit so I can raise charitable, tax-deductible dollars to help with funding this campaign. And for me, it was kind of a no-brainer to to line myself up with a veterans sailing nonprofit. And I think anyone that knows knows my story or has has followed my career, you know, I was I was wounded in Iraq pretty seriously back in 2004 and retired from the Marines when I was in San Francisco, you know, all all through the 2010s and through my couple of single-handed transpac campaigns and all that. I had uh, become quite involved and and quite attached to the cause of helping veterans through sailing. I'd done a bunch of work in that realm in San Francisco. We even started our own nonprofit at one point, which uh, uh, sort of went stagnant when I was in Fiji and and everything else. But uh, I've been very attached to that cause because when you touch back on my personal story, for those that don't know, uh, like I said, I was wounded very seriously in combat in Iraq back in 2004 in the Marines i was in a very rough spot in my life a couple of years later and quite frankly like sailing is what saved my life so i've always said that sailing saved my life it brought me out of a dark place it gave me motivation it gave me something to to shoot for it gave me inspiration uh gave me a lot of community and and friends and and i've found a livelihood and and a lifestyle and everything else from sailing. And I'm so grateful that I found this sport in my mid-20s and that sharing that with other veterans has always been like a a personal goal of mine. If you can race a sailboat solo around the world, or if you can race a sailboat solo to Hawaii, or if you can do some cool stuff in the sailing world, that's great. But if you can make it actually make the world a better place in some small way, that's even better. But I've always been very attached to this cause of introducing veterans to to sailing and, and trying to... Help some men and women that have served our country through, uh, through, through sailing. And again, like I said, I, I teamed up with a nonprofit the, the day the campaign became a reality. And I teamed up with, uh, with a nonprofit based in Annapolis, Maryland called U.S. Patriot Sailing. And I've, I've known those guys and girls since 2015, I think May of 2015, so almost eight years now. They're a great group of people based in the Chesapeake, but with chapters in Seattle and San Diego, and they're getting some stuff going in Florida and kind of all over the place now, but it is a little bit of a smaller nonprofit, just really aligned with me and really aligned with my goals and really aligned with helping veterans through sailing, but more specifically racing. And they do a lot of racing and there's so much benefit to that when you take a bunch of vets that have gotten out of the military and had various traumatic experiences or injuries. When you put them in that, in that realm of teamwork, you got camaraderie, you got a chain of command, you've got operational risk management, you've got adventure, uh, you've got kind of like, you know, working through difficult situations in difficult conditions. So many applications and kind of synergy between being in the military and offshore sailor racing kind of a no-brainer. And, and U.S. Patriot Sailing does a great job of creating that inspiration and creating that teamwork and that camaraderie and everything else. So I teamed up with them on day one. They very, very enthusiastically came on board to help out the campaign and, and to give me a an avenue to, to raise some tax deductible dollars and, and also to uh, some, find some sponsorship that way. And so Peter Quinn, who's the, uh, the founder and, and the director and still on the board of U.S. Patriot Sailing, he's been a... Massive, massive help to me. Just always helping out, and just continually helping me push the ball forward. And uh, between uh, between Peter and between U.S. Patriot, but also with my my sailmaker uh, Bill and Chuck O'Malley at Chesapeake Sailmakers, who got me teed up with Alstrom Sales and and everything else. Um, yeah, Annapolis just kind of somewhat unexpectedly became the home for the campaign, and then and then even more so back in um december right before the new year uh the boat got donated to u.s patriot sailing it it made it made more sense for Whitehall to donate the boat and get a tax benefit than it did to just loan me the boat and have this sort of liability out there that he still owned and was sort of liable for in some ways and i had to insure it but you know he would get paid out if the boat got lost to sea and this and that and it was just kind of a weird uh complicated situation and it, it just made more sense for like all parties involved for him to donate the boat so now the boat is owned by u.s patriot sailing uh so it's it's getting all of its uh you know new coast guard paperwork like you know as we speak right now but the hailing port's going to be annapolis and again i i have a lot of support in annapolis too though between uh again between the u.s patriot guys but also the, the chesapeake sailmakers guys and you know the elstrom sales guys and everything else it's um no, yeah, Annapolis. Great,
0: it's a great sailing city, I have to say, having grown up sailing out of and around Annapolis. Um, great community, great sailing area.
1: Not the best for an open 50, though, if we're being completely honest. Because <laughs>
0: probably not know <laughs> in terms of a 12 foot draft, not so great, yeah. I'd
1: say. With my with my draft, unless it blows like westerly or easterly, which is not the norm. Then you're kind of host because, like, the moment you tack, you got to get ready to
0: tack again. So that's true. That's true. At least it's soft mud when you run aground.
1: Yeah. I, hey, knock on wood, man. I have not run aground in the Chesapeake. I've only run it aground once, and that was right outside the marina here in North Carolina. So,
0: <laughs> you know what they say if anybody who, uh, Hasn't run around the Chesapeake, either hasn't sailed in the Chesapeake or is lying. So I'll just leave it there. Or you have a 12 and a half
1: foot keel and you just navigate very diligently. <laughs>
0: very carefully. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Ronnie, what would you like people to know uh, about this campaign, about this race, uh, about you that we haven't hit on today?
1: You know, I, I, I've made it I've made it pretty public for a long time that I aspire to do the Vendee Globes making that public and and having that goal is is how I ended up getting this boat. It's the one of the reasons why it all reached out to me is that he knew I wanted to do the Vendee Globe, and and he kind of thought, hey, maybe this is a way I can help get an American to the Vendee Globe. I've got this Open 50. There's this race. I want to see my boat go, but it's not really the right time for me to go, so I'm going to loan it to Ronnie. This campaign is a great adventure, but also a great learning experience for me, and I think it's great training for the Vendee Globe, and, and that's something that I'm That i'm trying to do and and if i can if i can help some help some veterans if i can help some people if i can help increase the profile of ocean racing in the u.s if i can help increase the profile of solo ocean racing in the Vendée globe in the u.s kind of some things that i feel very strongly about but also you know um some of my goals uh, as far as just something you know i want people to know about me i I have some other goals too and that's to, to create awareness for sustainability and for environmental conservation so Everything that we do in this campaign, we're trying to be as environmentally conscious as we can. So we're going to go around the world on one tank of diesel fuel, just 35 gallons of fuel. Uh, We've got solar and hydro generators. And and even our sails are actually being made with this pretty revolutionary new material, which is actually derived from recycled plastics. So they take recycled polyester and they turn it basically, turn it into Dyneema and then build the sails effectively out of that. And that's the Elvstrom sails new Echo EXRP laminate process. So everything on the boat, from top to bottom, we're doing as sustainably as we can. Uh, from from using an old boat and from rebuilding an old motor and recycled sails and and everything else, we're just trying to make this as as environmentally conscious as we can and, and also promote some diversity in sailing. I'm 50% Venezuelan and quarter Spanish and one eighth Native American, and it's always been interesting to me. You know, I've I've got brown curly hair and and i've got darker skin and it's always interesting that like a lot of times i walk into a yacht club and i'm the darkest person in the yacht club and to me that seems kind of weird especially uh i think that you see the sailing crowd and the yacht club crowd and for the most part it's not really representative of society so uh, i i really believe strongly in in promoting diversity in sailing and and also like um and with diversity is also um promoting uh, a, a, i think a lot of women in sailing too it's it's kind of too much of a sport that's uh dominated by 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 white men, and it's cool to see to see more just diversity and kind of inclusion and more representative of of what society actually looks like. It's maybe really important for for me for people to know sort of uh, some things that are that are important to me and some of my motivations for doing this as well in some ways that I hope to in some small way make the world a better place.
0: All great goals. And I want to wish you all the best in your prep for the global solo challenge. and Maybe next time we talk, you'll be getting ready for the Vendee Globe.
1: Yeah, that, that would be the goal. I, I got to do this big challenge before I can get to that one. And, one step uh, one at a time. That, yeah. And one, one thing that this has taught me is that like, I'm not ready to step into an Emoca and race it solo around the world right now, as much as I would love to be, you know, I'm not, you got to work up to it. You really do got to crawl before you can walk. So I've, As you mentioned, I've, you know, I've done over 130,000 miles of sailing and in a wide variety of boats, and I've done 40 or 50 thousand of those solo. But I'm still in a really steep learning curve, learning how to sail this boat effectively and efficiently and safely, and without breaking stuff. And and learning how to prepare this thing and run this thing and run this project from a project management standpoint, but also from a fundraising standpoint and a sponsorship standpoint. Um, this is like a great training ground to to hopefully one day get to the bond Globe. Hopefully one day I will be talking to you from uh, the starting line of the Vendée Globe in episode 380 or whatever it is.
0: There we go. (laughs) Hey, always a pleasure to talk to you, Ronnie. This has been great. Best of luck and thanks again. Thanks again, Ben. Great to hear from you. That's it for this week's show. You can learn more about Ronnie and follow his progress at RonnieSimpsonRacing.com. As I mentioned at the top, I'm excited to be building a Patreon community around out the gate and I'm welcoming you aboard. Become part of the Out the Gate crew by subscribing. Again, it's only $5 or $10 a month, and you can get cool benefits such as an Out the Gate t-shirt, extra content, and live chats with me, and possibly show guests. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash Out I'm your host, Ben Shaw. Thanks for listening. You can reach out to me on Instagram at Sailing. Or email me at outthegatesailing at gmail.com. And until next time, smooth sailing.